0: Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Henry Cavill on Enola Holmes, The Snyder Cut, and his comfort movie, Lord of the Rings. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, Superman himself, Sherlock Holmes himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Henry Cavill, who has never been on the podcast, is my guest today. And we talk about it all, guys. The, uh, the road he's, he's been on ever since being cast as Superman nearly 10 years ago. I've been there the entire time. I did the first interview with Henry after he was cast as Superman. WonderCon 2011. Look it up. He's come a long way. And uh, he was a delight. He talked a lot about this new film of his on Netflix, Enola Holmes. It's him and Lily Bobby Brown. Yes, the fabled Snyder cut. We get into it. And, of course, we talk about his comfort movie. He's a geek like myself. He wanted to talk Lord of the Rings. Not just Lord of the Rings, the extended cut of Lord of the Rings, guys. Yeah, this is a geeky one. Speaking of geeks, no, this guy's not a geek. This guy's too cool for me, but somehow he's a friend of mine nonetheless. You know him, you love him. I've talked about him before. We've collaborated professionally and personally over the years. It's Mr. Ben Lyons. Hey, Ben.
1: Hey, what's up, Josh? Thanks for having me on the uh, episode with Superman. I really feel like Clark Kent, so
0: thank you. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you're the yin <laughs> to the yang that is Superman. Um, I always love to catch up with you. Usually it's not on a microphone, but today I wanted to talk to you because as this drops today... Um, it's, a, it's an important day. We're obviously in this crazy political cycle, this election cycle. You're someone that, that is very involved in both the entertainment and sports side of things, but also politically. I wanted to hear about what you're up to and spread the good word. Tell me about Hooper's Vote.
1: Yeah, Hooper's Vote and Hooper's Register to Vote Day, Josh, is something I'm really passionate about. And I love how you've been able to use your platform to talk films, to interview the biggest actors and actresses and directors on the planet and also you have a chance to you know have your voice heard about what you're passionate about what's going on outside of the movie theater and outside of movies and for me it's you know the world of basketball i'm very passionate about and with the partnership with rock the vote we launched an initiative called hooper's vote as a way to unify and amplify all the collective energy you see across basketball culture the nba wnba college high school level even my old man rec league Uh, everybody's a hooper at heart and with being a hooper it also comes with being a voter a leader on and off the court so having a lot of fun creating content around basketball culture and i wanted to reach out to you because i know you're very passionate about voting and i thought it would be a great way on hoopers vote day you and I to talk our favorite basketball movies of all time on the Happy Sad Confused podcast.
0: I like that you lead with like I, I know you're passionate about voting, insinuating that I've never actually touched a basketball, that I have no actual relation to the other half of this. <laughs> I've touched a basketball once or twice. I've played a game of horse back in the in, in the days when my legs worked, and I've seen many a film about basketball, whether it's documentaries or narratives. And yeah, I want to compare lists with you. I mean, I don't know the, the list of great basketball films is not honestly, that long, in my opinion. I feel like there might be some overlap. Can we compare our top three basketball movies of all time?
1: Yeah, let's do it. It And there haven't been as many in recent years as the documentation of basketball has gone global. Uh, there have been some niche documentaries that have popped up on the festival scene in recent years. I think of the other dream team about the Lithuanian team in 92 that won the bronze medal and used to warm up in the Olympics with Grateful Dead tie-dye shirts. Talked about <laughs> using their voice for, for activism back then. But uh, yeah, I think 92, sort of the inception of Rock the Vote, was sort of the end of your basketball career They sort of <laughs> coincide. It's like Benjamin Button meeting in the middle.
0: I, I left when the, the last time the Knicks were like a real team, as you know. I, my my knowledge ended with Mark Jackson and Patrick Ewing. I I I actually knew my stuff way back when, but it's been a while. But the movies remain, and I have some favorites. Um, how about okay? Let's let's go like I don't know if you've ranked them, but I've ranked mine. Um, I'll, I'll do three, and we and you go to three. How about that? And we'll see if there's. Let's overlap. Do it. Okay. Let's do Um, it. three. I'm gonna go with uh. Gina Prince-Bythewood's Love and Basketball. This is a curveball? Is this on your list? This is a different kind of a a basketball movie. But, like, she's got such an amazing touch as a filmmaker. Really captures relationships so well. I found it to be a moving, exceptional uh, film. Not necessarily a basketball-first movie, but that's okay. Beautiful
1: film. I love Love and Basketball. Definitely still holds up. Uh, and I actually have fond memories of when this movie first came out and first came out on DVD. I was actually dating a Dalton girl at the time who was where you went. That's where you yes. went to high school, yep. and she was on the basketball team. We used to watch the movie and then, like, ice our ankles and, like, have our own love and basketball <laughs> stories. So I really hold that movie near and dear to my heart. Okay, uh, what's your name? Okay, yeah, I, yeah I number three. Basketball. And that film holds up Dennis Haysbert's in it as a yeah. father, and it's about USC in Los Angeles, and it's really well done. Stanade Lathan and Omar Epps is terrific. I have on my list um, uh, a, a film I would just label as, as a pure comedy, but also has some, some drama, dramatic moments and sort of that dramedy tone to it. A white Men Can't Jump, nice. uh, Rosie Perez and Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. Uh, The Stookie Brothers, Foods with the Letter Q, a lot of memorable lines. Uh, And and of course, anytime I go play two-on-two in Venice, I think of that movie. I
0: I was really dreading when you were setting it up as a comedy. I'm like, he's going to say Eddie, starring Whoopi Goldberg, and I'm going to walk off this podcast and it's going to be over. Um, no, Franklin Lange- Jello Frank walking into Madison Square Garden,
1: <laughs> and jumping on a horse, walking into Madison Square Garden. Is, no, it did not make my list.
0: I have a feeling that the, the top two, I, I don't know, I feel like this is inarguable with the top two basketball movies of all time. are. are I'm curious about this. I put it number two, and it's just, just as easily could have been my number one, is He Got Game, Spike Lee's He Got Game, uh, which is so moving and dramatic in the best possible ways. I think of the classical score he used. I think of one of Denzel's best performances, and that's saying quite a lot. Um, I think of Ray Allen actually somewhat holding his own, which is a tall order with the actors that are, are around him. Uh, it's one of my favorite Spike Lee films and one of my favorite films, period.
1: Yeah, this is where our lists begin to intersect. And, and the beauty of that film is that it really captures all of the characters that surround a star player's life from his friends and teammates and classmates, to his girlfriend, to his family, to the hangers-on, to the newfound friends with $100 handshakes. It really captures that world and that time, loosely based on Stephon Marbury, who's the subject of a great documentary, The Kid from Coney Island, which is available now on a lot of the streaming platforms. But yeah, he got game, still holds up. Denzel um, uh, is terrific as Jesus Shuttlesworth's father, and you know what I what I also love about uh, about He Got Game, Josh, is that is that Spike, of course, is so passionate about yeah. the game of basketball, and the fact that he got to make something that twenty years later still has an impact on the culture of basketball is tremendous. Uh, I just did, wrote an article about John Wallace, who plays one of Jesus's teammates on it for a twenty fifth anniversary of the ninety 96- six draft class for slam magazine and he says today's nba players come up to him and imitate him from the movie raising the roof and so the fact that it's still part of the culture and spike as a filmmaker loves basketball so much uh it makes me just even connect to that movie even
0: deeper i I think of one of my my all-time favorite scenes the one-on-one towards the end of the film on the court is just just amazing um is that your number one did i I ruin your number one well, that's on the list, but you know the story behind that. Yes, exactly. I, I, yeah, go for it. yeah, go for it. Yeah, I know it. But go. No, just
1: quickly that Denzel wasn't going to get, like, played and lose 11 yeah. nothing, So he, like, went for it in the first two points and kind of surprised Ray Allen. It's so great. Um, okay, what else is on your list? Um, number one comes out of Sundance, which is a special place for us, as you know. Um, uh, hoop dreams. Yeah. This is the long-form documentary. To this is on your list too, right? So you're number it's one. not on.
0: It's not on my list. I, I could have just as easily had that at number three. No, I went with the obvious one, but uh, but go for it.
1: But yeah, no, it's a documentary that at the time you know was really groundbreaking, in the idea of embedding yourself uh, with a family, with two families, uh, to find out if these two young kids from Chicago were going to make it to the NBA, and while ultimately they don't, the story has a, um, uh, just a beautiful uh, air of hope around it and shows you that life is the journey. And to now, years later, to hear the, the, the stories of checking in with those two young men, I think is, uh, I don't know, it was a really seminal moment in long form filmmaking, yeah. documentary filmmaking, reality television. Um, and really to see two young boys kind of grow up and become men through the game of basketball and pursue their dreams is still inspiring when I pop it on today.
0: I need to revisit that one. I honestly don't think I've seen it since it came out, but I, I remember loving it. And it, it, you're right. It, it did as much for the form of documentaries, like legitimizing them as, as great films in their own right, as, as any film I can think of. Um, the other, so I don't know how many le- are left on your list that haven't been covered. Any? Well, those are three. I mean, we can get into the bad ones. If you want to go. No, wait, wait. I, I have one. Wait, 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 wait. Ben, 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 you don't have the top basketball movie of all time on your list?
1: What do you got? Blue chips, Tony Fail TV. What are
0: you got? Where's the love for Hoosiers? What are you talking about? Oh no! See, Hoosiers and I have some issues. Oh my God! Well, let me just my soapbox for twenty seconds on Hoosiers. I'm not. I don't feel like I have to sell it because I thought this was the no brainer of all time. It, is, is it's just one of the most eminently rewatchable films of all time. It's the the you know the the underdog story, the 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 Gene Hackman performance, the music that gets me hits me in the gut every time. So many yeah. scenes, Dennis Hopper are getting Oscar nominated. What's your beef with Hoosiers?
1: Well, you know, if you're going to tell sort of the story of basketball and an authentic representation of the game, uh, I kind of feel like certain characters are marginalized in in that film. If you no, I, 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 do,
0: <laughs> I, do, I do. I do hear you. And, and what you're alluding to, of course, is like, this is like a lily white story with like the African-Americans like on the sidelines. And, and you're absolutely right. It also captures a time and a place where Sadly, that was the reality. They were being marginalized in a horrible way. Um, but he, he, uh, look, uh, I guess I'm seeing it in the context of when I saw it. And maybe if I revisited it, that's, those things would glare, be glaring for me. But uh, on a purely like, inspirational, just like filmic level, that movie always works for me um I guess Uh, there's no way
1: you can't watch that movie and not want to run through a wall and 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 also it speaks to how you know the 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 game at certain times throughout its history has been segregated however what's so great about the game of basketball truly is that it's this real life united nations of characters now Uh, and if you look at you know I'm watching these NBA playoffs Josh and you see guys from Serbia next to guys from New York next to guys from, you know, uh, parts of South America and all over the world. Um, but but you're right there. are You know, that part of, of the game and that time period was very lily white and, and also, you know, an important uh, time period just in, in, in American basketball versus American culture, too.
0: Well, it's like you and me, like, you know, one of us is from the Upper West Side on, and one of us is even further on the Upper West Side, more West. So, like, <laughs> it's a total different world we come from. Um, <laughs> I know there are folks tuning in that are loving this conversation, but are also like, where's my Henry Cavill talking Superman? So we're going to go to the yeah. main event in a second. Give us one more plug for this great uh, organization you're definitely a big part of. Hooper's Vote,
1: hoopersvote.org. You see the energy around voting in the basketball community from LeBron James, who's coming soon, in Space Jam 2. Space Jam didn't make our list. <laughs> Chris Paul supporting When We All Vote with a lot of the people that I know you love to interview in Michelle Obama's initiative. And you see Steph Curry in the WNBA Players Association, who's a partner on, on our initiative, Hooper's Vote it's just really great to see the energy around the game and, and the connections to Hollywood too, between basketball and movies seem to be stronger than ever before. You see stuff in the trades every day about basketball projects on Quibi and documentaries and, you know, uh, you, know you and I are forever connected because this year we lost Kobe Bryant and found out that news together and he was someone who won an Academy Award. And, you know, the connections between culture, voting, Basketball—it's all intertwined as we lead up towards the uh, towards the election. And hoopersvote.org dot org is a place to kind of capture a lot of that energy.
0: Excellent. Well, always a good—I ex- always like a good excuse to catch up with you, my friend. I'm glad that you're always—you uh, know—furthering causes that 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 need help and demand help. I mean, these are crazy times, as you well know. And yeah, anything that can get that can encourage folks to get a little bit more active in these pivotal times, I am all for. Uh, thanks, Ben. We're gonna toss it over to Superman himself. From one Superman to another, here's what a my... a graceful
1: transition there, Josh. That's
0: what <laughs> you you owe me forever, Ben. Uh, here is my conversation with Mr. Henry Cavill. Uh, it's good to see you, buddy. How you doing? It's good to see
2: you too. I am very well. Very well, thanks. Um, it's, been thank... it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Like I, I feel like I haven't seen you in ages, and, and we've known each other for so long, and now this the only the first time I'm in your house. What's going on with that?
0: Well, <laughs> I was going to say, welcome to my apartment in New York. Um, yeah. this, is, this is as close as I wanted you into the apartment. I don't trust you quite yet. We've known each other a while, Henry, but I don't know if we're on the stage to welcome physically into each other's homes. What do you think?
2: Frankly, I'm, I'm wounded. That's no, no.
0: <laughs> don't be. Um, it has you been mean, a while.
2: You've been there for some of the formative moments of my life when I can't come into your apartment. What?
0: <laughs> I take it back. I take it back. You are always welcome, my friend. Um, but I was gonna say, I mean, yeah, I was doing the math when I knew I was gonna chat with you today. We're about to celebrate our ten year anniversary, Henry. Um
2: Oh my goodness. Insanity. We we need to um we need to get some kind of cake going, some champagne
0: or something. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be the one that eats all the cake and you're just going to stare at me.
2: You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I, w- I will, I will, I will stare at you if you eat all the cakes, I'll be pissed off because uh, I will eat all the cake first.
0: <laughs> In fact, we can have two cakes. What kind of cake do you like? What kind of cake don't I like? Um, I, I'm a red frosting velvet? guy. I'll do red velvet. Yeah, I can, I can okay. do that. What's your, what's your cake right. of choice?
2: Um, I, I like red velvet and anything, anything salted caramel really. So even like a salted caramel cheesecake, like I'm into that.
0: I'm glad that they prepped you to know that this was a 40 minute conversation about our favorite cakes. So this is just the yeah. beginning.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've got, I've got, I've got cake stories. <laughs>
0: I know that about you, but in in relative seriousness, um, even in these crazy times, it's I'm, I'm excited that I have the opportunity to catch up with you. I've always enjoyed chatting with you over the years, and um, congratulations on the new film. This is a delight. And Noel Holmes is a super sweet and fun movie. Um, but I but I am curious, like looking back, like because we have had a bit of a history. Ten years ago, if I'd talked to you on the, and that was right when you were cast as Superman. This was a momentous moment in your career. What do you think about the 10 years that have transpired career-wise? Like at that time, did you set goals for yourself? You knew Superman was going to be a hell of an opportunity. And I'm sure as an actor, you wanted to make the most of that specific opportunity, but also what that would lead to. Um, let's analyze for a second. The last 10 years, what do you think?
2: I mean, I, I didn't set goals for myself. and And I'm glad I didn't because, I mean, under normal circumstances, uh i would say it's always good to set goals but i'm glad i didn't because there have been all sorts of curveballs and and weird u-turns and lefts and right where i wasn't expecting them zigged when i should have zagged and everyone else zagged when i when they should have zigged and it just it's been full of surprises it's been full of full of uh things changing which i wasn't expecting and i certainly wouldn't have expected 10 years ago when we were first having those conversations and I'm, I'm happy, oh, obviously there are some things which I, I wish would have happened differently over the past 10 years, but I'm really happy they have happened that way because lockdown taught me a lot, let's put it that way. Lockdown taught me a lot about uh, appreciation of everything that we have. Uh, life is um, surprisingly short sometimes and it's all about taking everything for what it's worth. Which mm-hmm. is, if you can't take a positive out of it, then then you shouldn't be doing it. And I actually have enjoyed everything I've done, even if it hasn't necessarily gone my way, or it hasn't been something that I've enjoyed enormously doing. Actually, th- there's, there's been stuff which I've taken out of it, which I can I can be thankful for because of who I am today. Right. And it's led to things... Like this, it's led to things like The Witcher. It's led to things like having the opportunity to work with Millie Bobby Brown and Harry Bradbury. And so actually the past 10 years, despite having their ups and downs and ebbs and flows, and not necessarily having gone the way which I wanted it to go in some scenarios, I'm very, very thankful for and very happy for.
0: Well, and I'm sure there's a recognition, and you probably knew it back then, but you know it more so now than ever, that there's only so much you can control as an actor in this business, yeah. you can control what you deliver and what you deliver each day on set and give it 110%. And there, there's just a myriad of other factors involved. And, um, and yeah, if if you don't take something out of, out of every experience, good or bad, what are you, what are you in this for? And I know that's partially why, why I find it, you know, admirable, for instance, like the witcher you went after, like, you know, I, I don't think of like an actor like you, who's like accomplished a lot as someone that's chasing roles, but you were still like, <laughs> No, that's that's worth like putting myself on tape for doing whatever I have to do, because I yeah. know that's something that I will be passionate about, and I can I can that can bring me to another level.
2: Absolutely, and it's not even about the other level; it's about it's about doing the thing you want to do. And yeah. again, I'm referencing lockdown, thinking about things I want to do in the future, and I I love fantasy and sci-fi; those are the books I read, and so it's the kind of stuff which I want to do, and it's made me. It's maybe be a lot more proactive and start chasing after stuff and saying, "Well, hey, you know what? Don't wait for someone else to make the movie. Go after it yourself. See what yep. you can do, yep. and start putting a team together. Like really work on that." And I'm excited because now you know it, it's it's a. Uh it's it's a passion pursuit because some things are out of my control, absolutely out of my control. It's all about it's all about patience with some things, and it's all about proactive action with with others. And so, and so, yeah. Lockdown has taught me a lot, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to doing things that I love doing every day. You know.
0: So I, I, I definitely want to hit upon. Um, Bill the love of fantasy, where, as you know, we're we're talking about comfort movies in part on the podcast lately. But I, I do want to ask a couple couple things about this new movie of yours because honestly, I I really dug it. Enola Holmes, as I said, uh, a sweet sort of a different take on uh, f- some familiar characters. Um, you're no stranger to iconic roles. Clearly, you don't shy away from these challenges. Um, Sherlock presents some interesting challenges in and of itself though I mean not only is he as, as one of the most recognizable characters in the history of, of literature, but we have some very good recent examples of takes on Sherlock, we don't have to go that far back to see some really cool interesting takes, so what makes this worth doing, is it the fact that it is a bit of a different take on the character than what Benedict's done, what, what Downey's done?
2: I, I don't know if it was the different take on the character that, that necessarily drew me to it. It was the story itself. It was the messaging in the story. It was, uh, it was the way that Sherlock is utilized in this story to affect the new generation via Anola Holmes. And I loved that. I loved it, I, I'm, I'm not gonna try and compare myself to these fantastic performances of Sherlock Holmes that have come before. And I think if you did, then it would drive you crazy uh, because it has been done in so many different ways and, and marvelously so. And so for me, it was it was just looking at it and feeling something when I read the script and going, yeah, this feels really good. And I love what it's trying to tell people. I love what it's saying. And then, obviously, Millie Bobby Brown and Harry Bradbeer. you think it's, it makes it an easy yes. It makes it, it, makes it you know, a, a no-brainer.
0: This, this character is, you know, famously maybe the most intelligent man on the face of the earth. You've played, you know, our mo- most iconic, uh, virtualistic, you know, uh, superhero on the planet. Do you ever just want to play, like, a dumb... St- stupid guy that has no good attributes, because you're setting yourself up for failure, my friend. You meet somebody <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, you can't possibly compare with all due respect. You're a great guy, but you can't be Sherlock. You can't be Superman. You're a mortal man, Henry.
2: <laughs> that's what I love about these characters. That's what I love about my job. I get to be these incredible characters, which I read in comic books and books, and, and that's that's what I love about it. I get to, I get to exist in the skin of these, these, these icons, Temporarily and briefly and and hopefully a little bit of them rubs off on me in the process, right? And and that is the blessing of doing what I do and that's That's what I dreamed of as a kid and and I'm very very lucky to be here doing it.
0: Were you uh, I love mr Sam Claflin I go way back with that gentleman as well I could see you two get get getting along well Uh, Did you guys cross paths in the audition circuit? Did you know each other before this project? um We, I think we had,
2: we had met a couple of times very briefly, uh, but we hadn't really crossed paths. Uh, we actually, we we've auditioned for a bunch of the same stuff and yeah, I think we met at a couple of BAFTA parties, but, uh, yeah, just, just respect for the man, absolute respect for Sam and, and he's, he's very funny. He had me laughing really, really hard, uh it was actually at some point, <laughs> it was a little difficult to keep it straight and keep it serious and professional because once he had, once he had me tickled like offset, then as soon as we were on and action was happening, I was like, just, just forget just forget the thing he just did because it's gonna kill your performance.
0: We're not talking actual literal tickling. He's not like literally going- No, in... no,
2: he's, he's not literally me, tickling me. That would have been, that would have
0: been- <laughs> Too far.
2: <laughs> I mean, ah, oh, you never know,
0: you never know. A Little bit of affection, we're missing it now, aren't we? <laughs> we are, now we could use a little tickle. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Claflin, where are you? Um, you've got the wonderful Millie Bobby Brown at the center of this. Uh, must have been all of 15 or 16 years old when she shot this film. Uh, yep. Take me back to Henry Cavill at 15 or 16. Would you have had the wherewithal to be the actor and virtual icon that Millie is right now?
2: You know what? I, I would love to say yes, but no, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think so. It's a uh, Millie is extraordinary and unique. When I first met her, uh, the initial thought was, I was like, oh no, this human being isn't getting to experience childhood because they're so mature They're they're so different from every other teenager I've met. And I just thought, Oh, that's such a shame. And then two seconds later, I was like, Oh, no, no, she's still a teenager. It's she does this amazing flip flop between the two where she's an incredibly mature person who, who speaks, Speaks like they're 35 years old, who talks about characters, talks about performances, talks about directors or storytelling or whatever it may be. And then she starts talking to you about Love Island and, and trying to get you to do TikTok dances. And, and it's, uh, it's just, she's such a marvelous person to be around. The energy coming off her is, yeah. is infectious. And uh, I'm, she's, she's going to have a massive impact on this industry. I'm just happy to be a part of her story.
0: I was going to say, I mean, you're pretty good on social media. Millie, though, I mean, this is, this is like what she was born to do, right? She's like the queen of social media. So did she, I assume you're not working on TikTok now. Has she, has she taught you any moves in, in the social media space?
2: No, I, I'm, um, I don't want to encroach upon, you know, Millie's space. I, I don't want to cramp her style. I don't want right. to make her look bad. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm leaving the TikTok
0: to her. Yeah, you let her do the dances. You'll make your computers in the barn. You each got exactly. your skill set.
1: Yeah, perfect.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned how you were at a different place when you were her age. Uh, from all, from our past conversations and stuff I've heard you say, you were, I mean, I don't know, you describe it yourself. How were you as a, as a teenager? You felt a bit like on the outside looking in, you didn't feel like you had a place. Where Where were you at when you were a teenager? It's yeah, a good
2: question. I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot recently, obviously. Uh, I think I was probably... Um, a very um, openly emotional kid. I wore my heart on my sleeve. Uh, that was, for whatever reason, where where my personality landed amongst the personality of the five boys in my family, and and uh, yeah, I was just. I think uh, it's it's interesting because boarding school was tough for me uh, because I was so openly emotional. I think uh, there's something about that where you do make yourself a target. And if it hadn't been for my mum being such a, a, a tough, strong person, then then perhaps it could have crushed me, being that open. Uh, but instead, it didn't crush me. It just prepared me, and it helped me be more understanding of an industry that says no a lot, and right. and more resilient to it. It's just it's just one of those things. Uh, I, I I don't mind if people say no now. Uh, I'm I'm I'm. So used to it, and rejection is 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 okay. It's just one of those things that happens. And so I think, as a kid, yeah, I was very openly emotional, and uh, I, I'm glad I was because that helps with the acting. It does.
0: Are, are the legends of quote unquote fat cavil true? Were you really <laughs> called that as a kid?
2: Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I was absolutely, and I was I was a chubby kid. Yeah, so I mean, it was a it was a fitting nickname.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can fault them for many things, but accuracy, they had accuracy on their side.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, they, they hit the nail on the head right there. I was like, my name is Cavill and I am fat. So pff, can't argue with that. That's, that's some pretty sound logic.
0: <laughs> Around what age are we talking here? Well, when that...
2: um, I would One say longer. probably 13, 14, 15, 16, maybe towards 17. I started leaning out a little bit, right. but only in the face as I started to kind of stretch out and grow. But uh, I, I was definitely still porky. I remember when I first got <laughs> when I first got the count of Monte Cristo. Uh, the producers called my mum, and they said, "So uh, could Henry lose about fourteen pounds?" And I mean, if if they're saying that to you know a, a kid at the age of I was I was seventeen at the time then, and that's, that's, that's a, like a, that's a large percentage of your body weight at 17. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unless of course you're one of these, you know, sporting uh, icons who somehow weigh 240 pounds at 17 and you work, you know, you're about to play for the Kansas City Chiefs or something. Right. Then um, <laughs> it's <laughs> But yeah, I was, I was definitely uh, an overweight kid and, and that's, you know, that's fine. That is what it is. I think uh, health yeah. is really, really important. I'm really glad that In today's world, we have a better handle on it. There's better access to to health tips and diets and stuff. And one of the good things about some of the pressures of social media is that it does inspire you to be fitter and to get in great shape. Because even if it's all lies, at least it's a goal (laughs) to work towards. And... You know, I, I, I would have, uh, maybe it would have affected me, maybe it wouldn't. I mean, I'm looking yeah. at my nephews who are about the same age now and, and their interaction with social media. And thank God that my, my brother and my sister-in-law are such fantastic parents because those are two really well-rounded young individuals. And, uh, you know, uh, God, who knows? Who knows? You, you can't really here, put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, but.
0: yeah, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about um, forming your tastes as a kid. Um, I, you said that fantasy was a big part of your life growing up. Um, who helped inform your your movie or television tastes? Was it one of your brothers? Was it friends? Who's the biggest influence on the on the films and TVs that you TV that you gravitated towards?
2: I think it's got to be my dad. Absolutely, my dad still reads all the same books that I read. Um, he got me into PC gaming. It's he got me into the type of PC games I play, and. <laughs> Yeah, I you play it's against gotta be my still? Um I used to a bit. I haven't done actually. I don't really get to play with my brothers at all anymore. Um, none of us have the time. You know, we're all too yeah. too busy adulting. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and maybe that's maybe that's something we should make more, more time for, uh, because it would be nice to interact with each other a lot more. But yeah, it was my dad. My dad informed a lot of my my tastes in in books, movies, and computer games.
0: Um, I saw your conversation recently in lockdown with the great Patrick Stewart. Uh, you seem to be beaming in that. I felt a little bit of like kind of geeking out on your part. Were you, is that just cause he's a legend or were you in particular, like did you grow up watching Next Generation? Were you a Star Trek guy at all?
2: Yeah, I grew up watching Next Generation and uh, I grew up watching that with my brothers and my dad. And so that is the only actor ever, uh, or only person in the industry ever who when I found out I'm going to be interacting with him, I've then immediately texted the group chat and gone, guys, guess what? I'm going to be talking to Sir Patrick Stewart. It's nuts. And, <laughs> and everyone's like? this excited. This sound? They're like, Oh my yeah. God, that's cool. Make sure you ask him about this and don't ask him about that because we watched all his interviews and, <laughs> and it's just, yeah, he's, he's not only a legend, but Sir Patrick is, is a very kind giving man. And yeah, it was a real pleasure talking to him. I, I, I'm gutted that it was during this pandemic, so I didn't actually get to see him in person. Uh, but hopefully, one day he and I can share a glass of wine or something, and uh, have a good old chat. It'd yeah, be it's nice.
0: Tr- it's tricky talking to those folks, as you well know, that are so associated with these roles or franchises that you you love, because and you know this better than anybody there, these are complicated relationships with characters you're so well associated with. Like I've had Patrick on the podcast a couple of times. And the first time I was a little scared to go too deep into star Trek. And that was one of like the gifts of like, I had him on like right before lockdown and he was promoting Picard. And I'm like, Oh my God, yeah. I can actually ask him all the geeky star Trek questions. now. Yeah. <laughs> this is my chance. <laughs> like, this is it. Best the yeah. both worlds part two. I have a follow-up question. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> So was it, fantasy books and TV and film or was it mostly literature at first? Like what was the, what was, what was tell me your like fantasy, like uh, influences as a, as a kid.
2: It was, it was all of them. I mean, but my earliest experiences of fantasy was, was my dad reading to me. I had this very vivid memory of lying in bed at a house called La in Jersey. And um, my dad was reading me a, uh, a, a series of short stories and I, yeah, it was, I think it's, it was reading, him reading to me and yeah. then, and then me when, once I got into reading myself, picking up books and finding, finding stories that I loved and I just, the, the stories contained within these amazing worlds are, are so relevant to us and that's what I think is, I really connect with. It's, yeah, fun, fantasy, adventure, crazy, crazy stuff happens and dragons and shit like that, but <laughs> Also, amazing moral codes yep. and, and lef- lessons on, on how to be. And you see these heroes of yours who stumble and fall and get up again. And you learn that lesson through them. And somehow you want them to respect you, even though they don't exist. And so you try and emulate them. And it's I think stuff like that uh, is, is really important. And it's definitely formative to who I am.
0: Everything you described describes the, uh, not one, but three films you technically chose as your comfort movie uh, yeah, yeah. today. And not only three films, but expanded versions of three films. I didn't have a chance yeah. since I just got them yesterday to revisit them again, though, of course, these are movies that are close to my heart as well. But Henry, tell us what your comfort film films are and, and why you chose them.
2: Okay, comfort films, uh, Lord of the Rings Extended Edition. Uh, I chose them because... That's one of those, it's okay. I think when, whenever I've been hanging out with people, whether it be previous girlfriends or whether it be friends and we're all saying, well, what are we gonna do? Or, uh, you know, what do you want to do for Christmas? Or it's, it's, you're all cozy inside and you know, the rain is blowing sideways outside in London and the house is nice and warm and you've just ordered, you know, Chinese takeaway and like, what should we do? Or a pizza or something go, let's watch, you check your watch, let's watch Lord of the Rings extended edition <laughs> and, and then you, you just get into it. And it's such a, even though you've watched the story a hundred times, it's so well done. It's, it's, you can watch the extended edition, which is, I mean, what are they? Something silly like three and a half to four hours each.
0: Yeah, pretty much, I've got them here somewhere, but yeah. Th- these are yeah. long movies. 30 more minutes in Fellowship, 44 extra minutes in Two Towers, 51 extra minutes In Return of the Kings,
2: it is a massive, massive movie experience, and and I love him. I love it. it's just so well put together, every single aspect of it, and you don't feel like you're watching, you know, someone who's just walked out of a costume shop. They look like real characters. Yeah. And I mean, Andy Serkis playing Gollum. It it, people still think they do flawless impressions of Gollum, and they don't, but (laughs) everyone's trying to do it. And I, I just absolutely, I, I love those movies and, and the way you can just cozy up and watch them with anyone. And even yeah. people who aren't into fantasy are like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm into it.
0: They, they are, as you say, they're, they're immersive experiences. They are, you can really lose yourself in that world, whether you've read the Tolkien books or not. Um, they, the, so many of the qualities you mentioned, I admire in them, not to mention the great ensemble of acting that's in it, the impeccable direction by Peter Jackson, these, these, these were game changers of films. Obviously Star Wars changed the landscape for, for fantasy sci-fi, but, but even Star Wars didn't win best picture and Return of the King won best picture and it kind of legitimized right. the fantasy genre and we're still yes. seeing it all these years later. I mean, there's probably not Game of Thrones. But there's probably not Witcher, frankly. If there's not Lord Absolutely. of the Rings, um, talk to me about where you were at in your life when you first saw Fellowship. You must have been probably seventeen or eighteen, by my math. So oh, I assume by then yeah. you'd read the Tolkien books, and was that a was that a big moment to see this vision realized on the big screen?
2: Believe it or not, I have not read the Tolkien books. Wow!
0: Oh, don't yeah. worry, You're, uh, we're in it together, buddy. We're two geeks no, I, that somehow I, it missed it. Yeah, I, me, me too. It's it
2: it's one of those things where. I think uh, I have memories of listening to the audio books and those are the only audio books I've ever listened to when it comes to uh, fiction, fantasy and sci-fi and stuff. Uh, in the car on the way to boarding school. I remember putting those on and the wonderful performances in there. And then when the movies came out, watching the movies and I didn't look at them and think, meh, that's a performance or I didn't like that or that doesn't look real. I believed it. And that was the beautiful part of it. And uh, I mean, it's, as you say, just so well-crafted. And especially for someone who loved fantasy, it was just a reinforcement for my belief in, in that world and, and what fantasy can do and what it can represent.
0: Did the timing ever work out in your career when they were auditioning for either War of the Rings initially or The Hobbit? Have you ever been up for one of these Peter Jackson Middle-Earth adventures?
2: Uh, No, I haven't. I have not. I'm trying to think. That was um, Orlando Bloom's first movie, wasn't it?
0: I think so. If not, one of his first. Yeah, certainly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because I I think I went up for Pirates.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Uh, But I never went up for Lord of the Rings, that I remember. Or not not knowingly, anyway. It could be one of those things where, you know, they say, oh, yeah, read this thing, and I just didn't know what was happening. But yeah, yeah, it's. uh, I I never went up for one knowingly, anyway, and um, I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad. I'm 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 glad that I just got to to enjoy it as as... yeah, totally. Yeah,
0: I think one of the things that people also enjoy in retrospect about that trilogy is how fully fleshed out it is from beginning to end. Peter Jackson had a vision. Obviously, the blueprint was there in the books, but he they shot it all simultaneously. He did a lot of like additional shooting as it went, but he knew from the get-go, this was gonna be two or three films. He knew the beginning, middle and and end of this story. And frankly, there's been a lot of like debate about this in like, you know, film geek community in recent years, Star Wars, the recent trilogy of Star Wars. I'm sure you've seen those films. Um, You know, a lot of fans are like, oh, why didn't they have the trilogy mapped out from the start? And I think there are advantages and disadvantages. There are different approaches. do you engage with that? I mean, I feel like, I, I know you've, you, you've followed all this stuff to a degree. Do you have a take on that? I mean, even, even applying it to your own work, like I think that's something that people really admire about what Zach did in h- your collaborations with him. And what people were so excited by by Justice League was he had a plan, he, ha- he was opening up and expanding the universe with all these Easter eggs for future films to come. Um, yeah. Fair to say, I mean, is that something that you, you relate to your own experience at all? I mean,
2: I the idea of the idea of uh, a grand plan and and executing on that is that something is that the question?
0: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah,
2: it's. I'm a details guy, right? Yeah, and bear with me. I'm a details guy. I'm a law loyalist, and so when it comes to adaptations and stuff, it's it's important to me that things are faithful, uh, faithful to adaptations and, and sorry, faithful to the source material. Yeah. And when you are just a carriage on someone else's train, it can be a dangerous place to be in. When you are the train itself, when you are the Peter Jackson, when you are the Zack Snyder, when you are the Dennis Villeneuve, it is, I'm sure, absolutely amazing. uh, Because it's your vision. And it's it's your version and you get to do whether it's a an adaptation of the source material, which you really want to see, or whether it's like so so beautifully faithful to the source material that you get to mention every single little detail and that has to be just this way and that has to be this way, and no, we're not cutting that character and and no that character won't do that. They'll do it exactly as they do in the book, then that's fantastic too. But the scary thing is when you're someone who's so into details and an almost psychopathic law loyalist like I am, especially when it comes to fantasy and sci-fi, then then it can be it can be a, a double-edged sword, being yeah. just a carriage on the train. And so it's it's one of those things. It's um, it's I suppose it does keep it interesting, to say the very least.
0: What you know, Zach will always come up in your career in these discussions, and I, and I feel like it it happens it happens in my. Um, discussions, discussions with Momoa, too. I mean, you guys, you know, he really kick your career to another level. I feel like there will always be a loyalty and a simpatico for many reasons for what Zack Snyder did for you. Um, what, do you what did you learn from your experiences with Zack? What, what do you admire about what Zack Snyder brings to filmmaking, his approach, his attention to detail? What do you take away? It's...
2: Zach's attention to detail, uh, Zach's, Zach's visual talent is extraordinary. And the way he tells stories, you see it through the visual. He's, he's such an exceptional crafter of moments. And and uh, love him or hate him, uh, everyone talks about the movies that he makes. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I've learned a lot from, from his version of storytelling in the sense that he, he relies on those moments very very much and he's very much the the visual medium and he's he's so good at it Zach's visuals are are second to none man and and it's it's something which I'm going to take with me and absolutely and I do take with me when I dream of of doing my own fantasy saga like movies or, or tv shows that's the visuals are a major aspect of it and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of that is is down to experiencing... What Zach crafts—he yeah, sets the yeah, bar very,
0: very high yeah. for any aspiring filmmaker, anyone that wants to create a world. I mean, he those first—I I, I always think back to those like first like ten minutes of Man of Steel, and it's just like, what the fuck am I in? This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't—I don't want you to get you into trouble with like Snyder cut discussion. Every every word is parsed out like insanity. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> as his eyes go wide, I can see it. You guys can't see it, but his eyes went wide. <laughs> I know it. But I'm just curious, I mean, we're gonna, it sounds like we're gonna see like four hours of this. It's gonna be a four part series and that he's gonna then put it all together. Like in, in your recollection, did you shoot a four hour movie with Zach? Was there was there that much movie in what you initially well, shot I mean,
2: I mean, I didn't because we know what happened to my character. That's fair, and... that's
0: fair. <laughs> yeah. Was the script you saw a 250 page script though? Was it? I mean, it's so long ago now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I've made five movies since then, Josh, come on. I mean, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, I mean, it's everything that he's shot is what he's using. And I mean, yeah. of course, there's, there's certain things you can add because, uh, I mean, let's talk about uh, the, the opening of the movie with the invasion of Earth and, and the gods defending Earth, etc. Yeah, okay, that's all CGI, apart from a few characters. And so there's, there's stuff there which you, you can build in post. You can spend, you know, six hundred million dollars on on making CGI stuff. Sure. And so, and so, uh, y- yes, uh, I would say there is definitely a four and a half hour movie there. It's it's in the can, plus the stuff which they're going to craft in post now. And so, uh, I mean, I'm I'm just really excited to see see his vision realised. I think yep. it, as we were talking about earlier, it's he he got to be the train, and and. I think it's only fair that, that train gets to reach its station, which it was aiming for. Uh, I think it's important that that vision is realized, whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a, it's a storyteller's, it's a filmmaker's right to have that vision realized. And, and I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see what that vision was and, and how it looks. And especially, he's got the advantage of hindsight now, and it's gonna be even better. I, I just want to see a good movie. Or and series cool. of movies,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're cool with growing the mustache back, obviously, so that they can just digitally it. Oh, it again. Oh, absolutely,
2: I'm going to grow the mustache back just for the just for that event, and then I'm just going to, you know, put like a a little uh, bandaid over it to hide it.
0: <laughs> that's that's pretty much what they did the first time around. So why not? Yeah, I mean,
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all saw it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, are you are you back shooting Witcher now? Are you in the thick of it? Uh,
2: yes, I'm actually at. Arborfield Studios right now. I don't know if it sounds like I'm in a cathedral to you, but uh, it's I'm in one of the um, one of the studio buildings, and they're shooting just over yonder.
0: I just assumed your home was a, was a scary black box um, that uh, just had no Well, actually, furniture. ironically
2: <laughs> enough, it's, it's only black on the back. The rest of it looks like a super budget Fortress of Solitude
0: around me. Oh, it's no. all white polystyrene walls. I wish we could turn the camera around. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> yeah. So so second season for this, and as, as I alluded to early in our conversation, this was a property that meant a lot to you, something you chased. Um, must be so gratifying that the audience responded, and you get a second crack at it to, to continue this character. Um what are the lessons learned for you from the first slew of episodes that you're applying to this next batch? Um, what are the lessons I've learned? Or is it simply just an opportunity, like, uh, obviously, the advantage of an ongoing story is fleshing out the world, fleshing out the character, more time to let it breathe.
2: I mean, a yes. I mean, again, I, I'm, 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 I'm a carriage in on, on this train, and it's about... It's about finding my character's place within the overall vision of the showrunner. The showrunner has a particular vision for the show and, and for the characters in the show. And as you, I mean, I don't know if you've read the books, but the books, uh, certainly the first few, there's very much from a Geralt perspective. And so with the shift of the showrunner's vision where it's, it's an ensemble cast more so than a singular lead and and the perspective is, is shifted to be almost more of a Cyrilla Yennefer perspective. And so it's about finding finding my character's place within within that vision and making sure that that I I do everything I can to be as faithful to the source material as possible that I can be within the structure set out for me. And right. so, I mean, obviously I want to be a loyal soldier and I I'm, I want to make sure the train keeps on running. I'm not gonna derail the whole thing. It's It's about making sure I play my part in it but also um, maintaining my, my love and belief for the fantasy and, and the books and indeed the games because a big gamer and, and that, the, the stuff which CD Projekt Red did, absolutely stunning. And they set the bar super high for when it comes to everything Witcher. And so, yeah, it's, it's about, being, it's about uh, finding, finding that place in there where I can, I can do both. I can help the showrunner realize their vision and yeah. also, also bring everything I can from the books and from that that psychopathic like law, loyalist nature of mine into my own personal character.
0: It, it seems we're in a cool spot um, where Technology has caught up and an and appetite has caught up to these fantasy video game genre properties where there are uh, opportunities to spend the money required and to attach the, the right talent, the right actors like yourself and the right creative visionaries to projects that are worthwhile. 20 years ago, you know, when we were growing up, it was few and far between. It was like until like, you know, Brian Singer did X-Men and stuff like that. It was like, yeah. then finally there was the shift. Um, This is a conversation we've had a lot over the years with me and other actors and yourself, like video games have had a tough time getting the proper adaptations. Is there another game that as a gamer that you are like, why have they not exploited that? Why have they not turned that into a great film or TV property? Does anything come to mind? Elder Scrolls, Elder Scrolls, Skyrim, Morrowind.
2: It's that there's so much that they've built such a universe there. Uh, But that's a tricky one. That's a really tricky one because I think some of the mistakes of movies, uh, which are adaptations from video games, are that they try and do the video game as a movie and that doesn't work. Because you, I mean, especially when it comes to something like Elder Scrolls, for example.
0: Well, you just talked about yourself as the loyalist, as the guy that needs, needs it all to be accurate. Absolutely,
2: but, but it can be universe accurate. But- I see. If you can't do the Elder Scrolls as a movie and give the user the same experience, right. because the thing about Elder Scrolls is the sandbox environment—you can do whatever you want. You start off as this character, which is a blank sheet, and you can go in whichever way you want. And you can even change direction halfway through and go back and do something else. Right. And you—you—you you, you know, instead of being the—you know—the <laughs> emperor's guard or something, you end up being the most preeminent assassin in the land. You kill the emperor, and it's you can't give the viewer that same experience but what you can do is you can be a loyalist to to the universe and the world and the rules which exist within that world but you have to pick a story and that's where the trick or the tricky bit is for adaptations if i were to ever adapt elder scrolls it's going to be really difficult to please everyone um you do something like skyrim how do you play the character? Like which which story do you take? Which story do you tell? And that's where the difficulties lie because the gamer the gamer gets to choose. And when you take that choice away, there's immediate resentment.
0: <laughs> yeah. It it requires a a certitude of vision, someone that you trust behind the uh, behind the camera or or, or or writing it, and someone with the confidence again, you know, the Zack Snyders of the world who good or good or bad, someone that knows what they want and will stick to that. Ab-
2: absolutely. If 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 someone said, Okay, you know what? James Cameron is gonna make a Skyrim movie, everyone's right. on board. They're yeah. like, it's fine, it's cool. James yep. Cameron knows better than I know. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like I wouldn't have done that, but it's James Cameron, it's great. Yeah. And it's that's the thing. You've got to trust. You gotta trust the filmmaker, you gotta trust the person at the helm. And that I think makes it easier for even the most resentful of gamer to be like, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, but you know what, it's pretty good.
0: As we as we wrap up, I'm just curious. We obviously don't know the future, the future of Superman that those are rumors every day. I'm not going to pick your brain on that. But just as somebody that's been a part of that universe and is also a fan of that universe. Are you excited about the new films that are coming? I mean, we obviously have Wonder Woman coming with an Aquaman sequel that's going to come. The Flash movie sounds so cool in that it's opening up this multiverse. I mean, Michael Keaton, Batman coming back. Come on, <laughs> Henry. Does that make your brain explode no, as much as mine?
2: Yeah, that, that's, that's gonna be, that's gonna be crazy. It's, yes, I am, I'm really excited. I wanna see, I wanna see which direction they're going in. I, I wanna see where they're taking it. I wanna see, I wanna see Gal's Wonder Woman again. I wanna see, I wanna see Jason be Aquaman again. I wanna see where these stories develop to. It's, it's exciting, it's exciting to see what they wanna do. And I, I love these superhero characters, obviously I do. Yeah. And especially the DC universe. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, and I want to see how audiences react. I want to see how people, what they like, what they don't like, because that to me is fascinating as, as someone who, who wants to be a producer as well. And maybe even one day direct it's to see how audiences react to stuff, especially stuff that I've been a part of and may continue to be a part of. It's, it's like, to know that to see how the reaction happens real time and yeah. be an experienced outsider as well or ex- experiencing the thing from the outside as a viewer absolutely amazing absolutely amazing and uh, i can't wait i just hope that everything opens up cinema wise and we're all clear of the pandemic uh, so things aren't necessarily rated unfairly on you know certain circumstances like we look at tenet i haven't seen tenet yet Same, but yeah. tenet it's sort of it it hasn't done as well as everyone thought as you're we doing the box office, but that's because we're at the tail end of a pandemic and everyone's going, well, I'm not gonna the cinema. And it's, it was an experiment. It was, and that experiment didn't work for that time. Again, I'm not speaking for the movie. I'm just speaking for the, the cinema thing. I, total, I don't like think anyone was ready yet. It's, and it's, it's I impossible really
0: times, that, yeah. We're, yeah. All these next now. things that
2: come out, that yeah. they're, they're gonna be, everyone's gonna be ready and people will be going back to the
0: cinema. Thanks, as always, for geeking out with me, my friend. Uh, Here's to another 10 years of talking about superheroes and Sherlock Holmes and genre and fantasy and, and just movies in general. And maybe you'll be, maybe in the next 10 years, we'll be talking about your producing and directing career. I wouldn't be surprised.
2: Hey, let's hope. Let's hope. All right.
0: Thanks, man. As always.
2: Thank you very much, my friend. And I hope to see you again soon.
0: And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused.